This is the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast, episode 19. I'm Matt, and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. So, right off the bat, if you could give me a follow or a like, even recommend your friends, comments and messages are more than welcome. If you've got something you want me to talk about, let me know. So on today's episode, I have some geek news. Then I'm going to be talking about Thought Bubble 2023. Then I'm going to be talking about Justice League Unlimited which is now on Netflix, and the comic to read before you die today is JLA, Pain of the Gods. Today's geek news, Ghostbusters trailer. So what can we really say about the Ghostbusters trailer other than it does look awesome? I think any kid my age, when I say kid my age, anyone who grew up in my era loved the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, I'm a, you know, bit out there, but I do love Ghostbusters too. I, I don't care if everyone dislikes it ghostbusters 2 was a i I enjoyed it better than the first one honestly but it's one of them i I enjoyed the last one um afterlife was pretty decent film um the least we say about the melissa mccarthy ghostbusters the better because it was garbage and we all know it but the last one afterlife was pretty decent and i think it was really good to the original films it was also really good to the original cast um, what I like about this trailer is though that it's 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 almost like a true merging of you know the past and the present because we're seeing more of New York, which is big for the first two films. It's also showing you're actually seeing the original cast in there. Obviously, ideally, no more ghosts of Egon because we don't need them anymore. I feel like that was done to a really good level last time, and we don't need to do any more of it. But I like the idea of you know, like bringing the old characters back and you know merging, you know, forcing themselves forward into the present day. The idea of the death chill, I think, is a pretty decent one because it almost looks like they're going to do something that Ghostbusters never really did on a huge scale. The death toll looks like it's going to be pretty huge. It's going to look like the Ghostbusters are needed in some particular way. So. At the end of the last film, we saw Winston reopening the um, the building, and he'd bought the building. Was he going to bring back the Ghostbusters completely? Because obviously, you know, back in the eighties, they, you know, the four of them were getting hired, and they were going around, they were saving the day, and you know, to a certain extent, the world's kind of forgotten all about that. So, what is it going to be? That's open as a business again. Is it going to have? A staff within it. Who knows. As trailers go. I would give it a solid 8 out of 10. Because the only thing that could be better. For me to get it up to a 9 or a 10. Is to watch the actual film. So I think. you know, Especially with you know, you know. The decent tunes at the beginning of it. I kind of feel like bringing back old Karate Kid vibes. Um, I kind of feel like. Yeah. Decent trailer. Definitely going to be on my watch list. Next up, Captain America Brave New World. So, it's going through extensive reshoots, and I always get a bit worried about this, because I'm always thinking, well, if it's going through extensive reshoots, why is it going through extensive reshoots? It's it's had a negative test score, and that, to me, says that, you know, was it a pile of crap to begin with? I've got, like, so much hope for the film, you know, because I did like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I thought it was decent. I enjoyed that probably out of... It was probably one of my favourite out of most of the Marvel shows that came to Disney. I also like the fact that, obviously, you know, instead of just ignoring the character of Thunderbolt Ross, they've just kind of... They've recast him. And I kind of feel like if you're going to recast someone like that, 
you recast him with Harrison Ford, and I kind of feel like they're making him president now. There's a chance that we're getting Red Hulk out of it. I kind of feel like it, it's he could fit into the rest of the MCU quite easily. I think um, the reshoots worry me a little bit because are they reshooting because? It is a negative test score. Are they reshooting because they've gone, oh, you know what? We can't link this to the next film because I feel like that is just what Marvel do at the moment. Like, all this crap about the, the, the Marvels, and that's on my list of things to talk about, but realistically, the Marvels, you know, one reason I'll watch it is because I know that it links in with the next Avengers film, and I kind of feel like, does it now, though? Because... Marvel have now decided that there's a, well, maybe not decided, but there's a possibility that they're not going the Kang direction. And I think if you're not going the Kang direction, then what was the point in the the phase that we've just done? Do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like we, we did Quantumania, where it was all about Kang. Loki's been picking up Kang all the way through. And I get that this Jonathan Majors has had issues. But it's... I think it's stemming to a bigger problem within Marvel, and this is why Marvel films are on the down. This is why Marvel series are on the down, that these films just aren't standalone anymore. And I kind of feel like they, they've been trying to, do, they've been doing this all along, don't get me wrong. But we had Iron Man, and then at the end of Iron Man, we had a chant, you know, Nick Fury turns up and he goes, Avengers Initiative and all this. And that was our first glimpse at it, and we thought, oh, that, that could work. And then we had Iron Man 2, and he spoke a little bit more about it, and then it, we got Thor cap and then the avengers and it did work and then we it just kept going and kept going and then there's more characters being brought in and then we, you know we had all culminated with endgame and in a lot of ways endgame should have been the end of it but instead of that they've gone no no we're going to carry on and i just feel like from that point on that things have really gone downhill and i'm just hoping that captain america break new world is not one of the casualties of this because i've got so much hope for it i kind of feel like the, the beauty of Sam Wilson being Cap now is, though, that he's, he's literally, he's human. He's human with some gadgets and, you know, a moral compass kind of thing. And I kind of feel like that works. Um, Chris Evans' Cap worked hugely because, not because of his powers, but because of the who Cap was as a person. I kind of think Sam Wilson is a completely different person, but his moral compass is... You know, probably slightly higher than Caps was. He's, he's, you know, if you get to be in his bonnet, he's really going to fight for it. So I kind of feel like, I just hope that the magic isn't lost with these reshoots. Like, by the sounds of things, they're actually taking a lot of major scenes and they're either scrapping them or redoing them completely. And I kind of feel like, how can you, how can you fuck up the major scenes? I kind of feel like, surely those ones are the ones that are cemented into it. I kind of feel like if you're like, you know, some of the backstory doesn't fit together and you've got to go back, fair enough, but I think the issue I've got is, though, that you think about the, you know, the the crap that came out of the Justice League reshoots, and I kind of feel like, uh, do are we going to get some of that within the MCU now, and I kind of feel like, you know, the DCU is dead, MCU's on its way for, for me, and I, I just, it's just a shame when it's come this far. So, I've got high hopes for it, but... Uh, I, I don't like the idea of reshoots whatsoever. Um, I think what we've got to look forward to is hopefully the dynamic between um, Sam Wilson's cap and um, 
for, uh, you know, Thunderbolt Ross. So Harrison Ford and uh, Mackie hopefully will have a good chemistry and it will work out well. Um, yeah, so I've, I'm, I'm looking forward to that film, but I do have a bit of um, scepticism about the reshoots. I'm going to go straight into the Marvels next. So the Marvels ends up being the lowest Marvel box office opening. And it's not a surprise because, yeah, like anyone who's listened to my podcast early on knows how much that, yeah, like Brie Larson and I just would not get along. I just don't like it. It just winds me up. And I kind of feel like at some point along the way, if I carry on, I am going to have to rename the podcast that I hate um, Brie Larson podcast and i just do i just don't think she fits into it and i think she just it just captain marvel needs to just leave now because it's just not doing it for me i kind of feel like they're literally they've, they've done this film it's a vanity film and you know the miss marvel side the, the miss marvel series i watched it with my kids and it was all right I did, did I like the fact that they like changed up um, Kamala's powers? Absolutely not. It, it it didn't do it for me. I don't don't think the the Green Lantern vibe was anything that needed to happen. I kind of feel like they've they've decided not to make her stretchy or able to make herself larger because they're thinking, well, we've just got the rights back for um, Fantastic Four. We have to leave that for Mister Fantastic. I kind of feel like there was room for both of them. Um, and I kind of feel like the Monica Rabot thing, I kind of feel like they they gave her powers within one division. And I feel like it was leading up to this. Someone had an idea, you know what, we'll just bring all the Marvels together. And I, I just feel like, like I said before, I kind of, it starts to get to a point where I'm like, ah, just because we can link the films doesn't mean we need to link the films. I kind of think all the series... I kind of feel like it's very nice to have this expanded universe that all links together, but I am. Um, I kind of feel like when it comes to maybe you know the next film or the next phase or something like that, wouldn't it be nice for new people not to have to watch you know two hundred films to then get to that point? I kind of feel like I don't know. I kind of feel like the the only saving grace in this film is Samuel L. Jackson, but I kind of feel like. Secret Invasion kind of it it lost its way, you know, towards the end. And I kind of feel like you've you've let the, you've let that series lose its way, so that it'll give you a plot hole for the next thing. Like sending Nick back into space to me didn't really make sense because he had things going on on Earth. I kind of feel like him going back to space. What was he going back to space for? It, it just didn't make any sense, you know. For one thing, he was going without his missus as well. And I know that he disappeared for a while without his missus anyway, but I think that, you know, like, they probably needed that couple time. That to me didn't make any sense, and it was a plot hole put in so that he could be in space for the Marvels. And then how are they. I don't know. I just kind of feel like I'm not even sure how this film would even link up with the next Avengers film. And then, like I said, does it mean that. Like, my kids might not have watched every Marvel film, but do they have to watch every Marvel film to get an idea, or every Marvel series as well, to then get an idea of what's coming next? And I just think it gets to the point where it's like, we need just a film on its own as a one-shot kind of thing that we can go, okay, well, we could add them in to the next Avengers or so on and so forth. 
Needless to say, I probably won't be going to see the Marvels. I'm like, I'll I'll wait for Disney Plus, honestly, because I'm I'm just yeah. It's not like even if it leads into the next Avengers film that we're getting Avengers in the next what couple of years anyway. I kind of feel like Marvel need to do you know they, their films are dying. Their series, they need to focus on the series that are going to work. Daredevil, that's probably going to work because the Netflix one did, and if it's anything like the Netflix one, it's going to be decent. We've got. Yeah, stuff like Blade. The, the issue I've got with Blade is though that it's taken them so long to get their act together that they. I feel like the interest in it's just disappeared. I kind of feel like now that they've said R rated, I kind of feel like okay, well I can get on board with that. I kind of feel like the Wesley Snipes ones were good. Hopefully these ones will have much better special effects and all that. You know, I also need to. I I, I feel like Marvel need to focus in on what's working as well. All right, anything Spider Man is going to work. I kind of feel like. Into the Spider-Verse as, like, you know, that's that's really taken off. Tom Holland's Spider-Man is working, do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like they could even do anything multiversal with any of the old Spider-Man and it would work. I kind of feel like now that you've got them, now that you can use them with Sony, use them. You Avengers needs to be sorted and brought forward. You know, stop messing around with stuff like the Marvels. It does not work and it's just complete utter garbage that said i'm probably going to watch the film and go, oh that was pretty good but i'd you know i'll hold my hands up if i do next up we have code 8 part 2 so code 8 came out in 2019 and it was you know it was one of these things that um Stephen amell from arrow and robbie amell from a few other things that are more often than not been cancelled and there is a short film called code eight and it was a it was a teaser to a potential feature film and they basically um they got a a fundraising campaign started and they're asking for 200 grand and that was um launched in on march 23rd and they reached 2.4 million by april 24th and then Fundraising closed altogether with 3.4 million on December 31st, 2019. So basically, they got well more than they needed. And yeah, well, I, I quite like the film. I kind of feel like um, they, they could have done a bit more special effects wise and stuff like that. But I kind of feel like I love the gritty undertone of the film. So the, the, the film's basically Robbie Amell's character, Connor, is basically uh, he's an electric type, he's really powerful. Um, his mum's um, a cryokinetic and she's ill and he's working manual labour trying to make ends meet because they can't afford the you know they can't afford to live because superhumans are basically downtrodden and they can't get jobs and stuff like that so basically when Stephen Amell's character Garrett comes along and offers him a chance to earn some money um, just doing a small job he jumps at it and he basically they, they break the law a little bit and he ends up within this you know underground world basically and it, it you know it's a decent film and what i like is though that now they're not having to crowdfund it whatsoever they're literally they're they're backing it all together and netflix have jumped on and their the next film is is coming out so what i like about it is though that the trailer is pretty decent i kind of feel like if you're gonna like i said before with the um, ghostbusters trailer give it an 8 out of 10 i'd give this one probably a 7 out of 10 mainly because i'm happy that it hasn't shown me everything well i hope it hasn't shown me everything um yeah i'm i'm hoping that you're like 
there's a, you know some sort of a continuation to the power set that we got because the the electricity that he seems to be throwing out in this one is much higher than the last one, and I kind of feel like uh, it. The, what the trailer doesn't exactly tell you too much about the story. It looks to me like he's protecting someone. So has has that been what his callings come to be? Is he protecting powered people against? A society that hates them is he is he still on the wrong side of the law it looks to me like he's protecting someone so i look forward to seeing where netflix go with this and realistically i kind of feel like they, they both worked hard they got a crowd funded and i actually thought it was a pretty decent film i kind of feel like it would have been a decent film without powers as well do you know what i mean but i think the powers added to you know something different to it and yeah I, I look forward to seeing where they go with this. So, Next up, Rebel Moon. So, Rebel Moon, what can I say about this trailer other than it does look awesome? We've got, you know, fighting, new worlds, spaceships, war, destruction, carnage. I kind of feel like, what else could you ask for? I kind of feel like I'm not even going to say too much about it, I kind of feel like it's one of those things that you kind of need to just, you need to go and watch it for yourselves, because I do, I think it's probably going to be a decent film, and I feel like it's possibly going to blow you know the Marvel movies and the DC movies, out box office wise out of the water, because let's be honest, Zack Snyder's um, Justice League, you know, the Snyder Cut, actually came and um you know it did pretty well for itself so i kind of feel like realistically people are going to want to see what he comes up with next and i kind of feel like you know it's it's got a star wars vibe it's a bit 300-esque with the war scenes and stuff obviously a bit more you know modernized because there's laser guns and stuff like that but no, I think it's pretty decent, and we we know he can do alien worlds and stuff like that. We've seen that in Man of Steel, and I do think that it's going to be a decent film. I give the trailer a pretty solid eight out of ten. Last up today, um, the Terminator anime series that Netflix are going to bring out, and what I like about the idea about this is though that the idea is though that Netflix are quite good at um, animes at the moment. I kind of feel like they're bringing out quite a, there's quite a few decent animes. On Netflix. The teaser trailer gives us absolutely nothing other than by the looks of things, it's set in the 90s because it's talking about 1997, two days from now, the, you know, you know, everything changes. Obviously, anyone who knows Terminator knows that basically Skynet, um, they, the system goes online on August 4th, 1997. So I'm assuming that it will be leading up to that and seeing where it goes from there. And I kind of feel like it's an interesting thing. Like I said, because Netflix at the moment are pretty decent about bringing out animes and stuff like that. And, you know, depending on what style they use. For me, I'm hoping that they use a more cartoon style rather than the, the 3D style that they've gone for on a few newer animes that they've done recently. But... I kind of feel like I'll watch it one way or the other. I think that's going to be a decent anime and I look forward to seeing what it's going to do. The weekend just gone, I was lucky enough to go to Thought Bubble in Harrogate and it was a treat. If, if like me, 
you're fed up of the usual convention type archetype that's going on now where it's literally just there's so many it's just celebrities and to do anything at one of these comic cons you have to queue up for hours to get uh you know a signature or a photograph of one of these celebrities it's not really for me i like the comic art that comes with it i think if you've been to the liverpool comic con the manchester comic con or the scotland comic con or even the wales comic con you're not getting any of that at least the mcm comic cons have an artist alley you know the the other comic con the comic cons i've just spoken about liverpool scotland manchester and wales they do have an artist alley i've just used air quotes by the way and the the thing that i've the issue i've got with that is though that it's like there's like three stalls and it's it's just not good enough i kind of feel like you know the thought bubble is literally got everyone there and i looked through some of the names that were there and they're the same names that go to mcm london mcm birmingham and you know what i mean i kind of feel like you're getting all these people there and they're the actual people that are creating the comics and stuff like that and i kind of feel like you know thought bubble just it's it's my it's my kind of jam and i understand that people want to go and see the celebrities and don't get me wrong so do i but i also like to you know see new art i like to see new stories i like to see you know the possibility that that, you know these stories that i've read at one of these things then end up coming out on the big screen and stuff like that and i kind of feel like you know I did, I, I come away with quite a big haul, if I'm honest, and I'm going to talk about some of the comics that I've got and some of the books that I've got, and I'm going to start with Adam Lum's The Tide. So, Adam Lum, he's a comic book artist, um, writer and illustrator, he's based in Sheffield, and he's, he's worked in, it doesn't, this isn't, by all means, doesn't look like his full-time job, but not because of his artwork, it's only because I know that he worked in marketing, publishing, licensing the visual arts and museums museums even galleries theaters and television including the national portrait gallery and the bbc the tide is his first book and i've really enjoyed reading it honestly i kind of feel like it just visually visual wise it's it's great you know what i mean um i kind of feel like it's got a simplicity to it that i feel like some books that you read you know Especially from new artists when they're trying to make make their debut, they they can be a bit fussy, and I kind of feel like sometimes that takes away from the story. All right, so the story follows Myles Clay, warden of the North, and she finds herself protecting the witnesses of a savage crime against the evils both human and demonic. I don't want to give too much away, but basically what I'd say is definitely read to the end of the first chapter because I kind of feel like you might find yourself not quite understanding what's going on until the end of the first chapter. By that point, it's brought together and with the artwork, it, it, it's really, really nice. All right, so it's definitely worth a read and I'm only halfway through the first two volumes basically and I'm really enjoying it. So it's definitely worth a read. And if you catch him at a comic convention, it's I, I got the book pretty cheap as well. So, you know, and that was a bonus because I would have paid full price for it. So that's all I'm saying. Next up from my Thought Bubble haul was Indexed by Fraser Campbell with art by Lucy Sullivan. So I... One thing I'm going to say about the story is it is a good story. It, it visually it takes a lot though do you know what I mean and what I 
to begin with, I thought, oh, I can't really get into this. But actually, the more that, yeah, I, I kind of feel like if you've got time to actually slow down, you know, focus on the artwork, it's actually a really beautifully drawn. Do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like, to begin with, I thought it was, it was too, like I said before, about um, artwork being too fussy and stuff like that. But actually, it it's beautifully drawn. I kind of, what I'm going to link it to is... Alex Ross's Kingdom Come, and I I think that's probably one of the the most beautifully drawn comics of all time. And I'm not saying that it's the most beautifully drawn comic of all time, but what I love about Alex Ross's work is though that you look at it and think, "Oh my neck, that's going to take me a while to get through." And I kind of feel it. And the more you look at it, the more you think that's really beautiful. And actually, the more I'm looking at it, the more. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, it's really beautifully drawn. At, at first glance, though, I feel like my mind doesn't go as quickly as that, you know what I mean? But actually, looking at it again and just skimming through the pages, it's really beautifully drawn. A um, lot of attention to detail and, you know, character... Yeah, the, the way the characters are standing is brilliant. The, the look of disdain from them all as well. Yeah, no, and then we've got obviously the feds are in it, and I no, it's just a great story. So basically, the story is, you know, it's basically about a young girl called Meredith, and she's ordinary, nothing special about her, but she wakes up one morning and finds out she's been indexed. So it's basically that she's been marked by the people controlling society. And basically named as a nameless, worthless non-person. So she's not allowed to talk to anyone. No one's allowed to talk to her. She has to leave her home. No one's allowed to make physical contact with her. Otherwise, they'll be indexed. And it's just it's just a nice story. Well, I don't say nice story. It's, it's not a nice story. It's kind of a horrible story in, in the grand scheme of things. But I only got the first issue just to see what it was like. And it'd be one of those that I'd be interested in getting the rest of the series at this point. And it it's almost, it's kind of got a minority report kind of thing to it. Do you know what I mean? Remember minority report with um, Tom Cruise back in the day? And there was almost like precogs, you know, linked up to a machine. And they were, you know, you know telling people who the, was with the bad guys and I kind of feel like before they've even done anything and I kind of feel like that's the vibes I'm getting from it towards the end I don't want to give too much away because it's a it's a it's a good comic and it, it's definitely worth a read so if you know I only caught the artist at the uh, at Thought Bowl and she was lovely so definitely worth popping along to any of the uh, any of the comic con the MCMs especially because uh, I'm going to Birmingham next month she might be there but even if you go to Thought Bubble next year, you'll still. You, I'm sure she'll be. She'll be there. I'm sure she said that the writer was there somewhere. Um, so definitely worth a read. Next up, I have a story called Out of Time, and it's um, by Luke James Hassel and Martin Newman, and it's a story called Out of Time. So the the synopsis basically goes: um, Ever felt you didn't belong? as if you should have lived in the past or the future instead of the world we live in now, we'll look no further. Out of Time follows a collection of employees at a company for a small that for a small fee will be able to send you to either the future or the past to live an entirely new life. The one catch, don't make any cataclysmic changes to history. 
So we follow Redmond, a depressed 40-something wishing that his life had been different. Lizzie, a young girl who is sure that her dreams will come true through uh, reality TV. Uh, NC1000, a.k.a. Nigel, an employee who has made so many error jumps uh, that he's now thinking now thinks he is a robot and Annette, a shape-changing alien. Four pen pushers who have a job of making sure that history remains intact. So, realistically, the reason why I bought this book to begin with was because the uh, the writer collared me and pulled me in, and to a certain extent, I you know it wasn't that I I didn't like the artwork or anything. I was just walking past. I wasn't really paying attention. I was you know I was just having a wonder and. He pulled me in, started talking to me, talked me into the book, and actually I'm really glad he did because, you know, what I love about it is though that it's it's so different, the artwork. It's uh, it's not conventional art. It's, you know, lots of vivid colours. Like, most pages different colours. So we've got blues, we've got browns, we've got purples, greens, you know what I mean? There's... It's not all just done in black and white. It's not all just done in one particular colour or normal colours. Um, no, it's it's a nice book and it's beautifully read. I'm only halfway through it and I'm enjoying it so far, so it's definitely worth it. And what else I like about it is, though, that I got two more books for, you know, relatively cheap. Um, I haven't got onto Mind Hacker yet or The Siege of Hyde, but I will give them a read and basically tell you what I think about them the artwork is completely different on them so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I'll definitely give it a try so next up I have Shield Maiden so Shield Maiden was wrote by Asa Wheatley and it's got five stories in it all illustrated by different people which to begin with I felt didn't set the tone very well but what I went back and did was I looked at these stories as if they were separate stories you know, being told by different people and, you know, rather than one whole story altogether. And don't get me wrong, I did prefer some artwork with the tone of the story better than others. Like, my favourite illustrator from this is Kevin Keane and he's the third story along and his artwork in it is amazing. It, it gives me X-Men comic vibes from back in the day. Uh, maybe not too far back in the day, but I'm definitely... After after the 2000s kind of thing. And yeah. It's really nice artwork. And I'm not diminishing anyone else's artwork. I just feel like that for me. Set the tone of the book a lot better. Um, everyone else has got completely different styles than that. And it all works. And complements the story that they're telling. And I think that was my issue when I first read it. Like I said. I read it as if it was all going to be. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Rather than that's a story. That's a story. That's a year. So come into it with an open mind and read it you know simply there are two i'm pretty sure there's two more volumes of this as well that you can buy i bought the first volume to see what it was like and i would buy the rest next up i have titles from reckless hero so reckless hero is a comic company uh, or comic art company that was founded in 2012 and it's basically you know they started off doing what their um, t-shirt and um art prints and then back in 2015 they, they published their first comic um the last sheriff so i've got the last sheriff uh, pretty much all of it i have knights and pirates i have operation boom issues one two and three yeah 
and basically you can get all this in quite a big bundle and what i liked about them was they're not afraid to have a chat with you they're not afraid to go all out and artwork wise it's beautifully drawn especially there the Knights and Pirates, you know, just flicking through it is just like I'm not gonna give too much away. I think you can I think you can, you know, get the gist of it. Knights versus Pirates. You know, the last sheriff, more beautiful artwork. It's definitely worth worth a read. And you know, the bundle that you get, the amount of comics that you get for the price that you go. So they're at I've seen them at two conventions. I've seen them at Birmingham, Birmingham Comic Con and or MCM Birmingham even. And I've seen them at Thought Bubble. And I'm pretty sure they're all over the place. And it's definitely worth going and having a chat with them and talking artwork with them, talking stories with them. Because I, I do like the artwork in it. I do like the story. I kind of feel like... Especially the, the Knights vs. Pirates, I really think was quite funny do you know what i mean it, it it's basically on a quest from god king arthur has dispatched three of the most trusted knights to search for an ancient relic that will give them power to defend their homeland from an ancient force but all will not bear and be so simple as the scourge of the oceans blackbeard himself sets sail through time on the will of a mysterious assailant to lay claim to history's greatest weapon and turn the tide in their their own favor as destinies collide, who will be the victorious in the ultimate battle, Knights versus Pirate? So, I just think, you only have to read the synopsis and think, that's going to be a good story. So, I'm sticking with that. Um, I'm halfway through, and I'm enjoying it thus far. So, as of late, Netflix has released a Justice League. So, when I'm saying Justice League, I'm not talking about the, the rubbish film that Joss Whedon finished up for um, Zack Snyder. I'm talking about Justice League, the animated series that ran for two seasons and, la- and led into Justice League Unlimited, which ran for three seasons. All right? It's got season one on there at the moment. All right, uh, And... It is just great. I've rewatched it with my kids. It is definitely worth a watch. What is not to love about great voice acting and great stories? Okay, yeah, you have what Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Kevin Conroy, the legend as Batman, Bruce Wayne, George Newbern comes in as Superman. You've never played him in the animated series, but he's brilliant in there. You've got Carl Lumbry as um, Martian Manhunt, uh, Michael Rosenborn as Wally West, Phil Lamar as John Stewart, and you've got. Um, Maria Barrera as Hawk Girl. And they are the original seven Justice League Justice Leaguers in this. They they come together to stop an alien invasion. And they succeed and uh, then decide to bring you know a team together to fight the evils that are gonna threaten the earth. And it's just a great series. I remember watching it as a kid. And I remember Cartoon Network put on the episode um what the origin episode and it was just like they put that on and then it wasn't on again for like over a month from sure i remember watching it and thinking oh this is good this and then it never showed back up and then then they put the whole series on after that and i was like okay fair enough and i kind of feel like you know it was it was brilliant in the beginning and 
I know it leads into Unlimited, and Unlimited is just a great series. I kind of feel like they you know, they found their feet, and they just yeah, you know, the animation got so much better. You know, the plethora of voice actors that have been in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. You know, you've got um, John C. McGinley um, from Scrubs. You have J.K. Simmons, Michael Beach, Daniel Day Kim. Uh, they're they're just a few to you know, just quick to name. You've got Will Friedle from he, he picks up his like, his part of uh, Terry McGinnis um, from Batman Beyond. It it all links it together. It it's just a great great series. Okay, yeah. And if you haven't watched it, why, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? It is literally one of those shows that you could watch now and it'd be a great series. Justice League Unlimited, the the fight against Darkseid and that is brilliant. The fight where the Flash faces off against Lex Luthor is probably one of my favourite battles of all time in any animated show. I kind of feel like I've I've named a few animated programs back in the you know, back in previous previous episodes and it was episodes of the nineties. This is two thousands unfortunately, and this would have ranked top had it been just episodes, you know, they're, they're just series, uh, superhero series, it would have ranked up. So you definitely need to watch it. What I love about the first series of Justice League is there's no overall story. It's basically, they have arcs in it. So they have um, Secret Origins, which lasts for three episodes, and they have uh, Green Lantern arc, which lasts for two episodes. And it goes on like that. And what I love about it is that the, you know, the stories don't have to intertwine. You can pick up an arc here and there, and it's like that. When you get into Unlimited, um, the stories come together, and basically there, there is an overall story at the end of it, which is what you expect from any series, to be fair, okay? Yeah? And I think what was great about it is that the Justice League series finished with Starcrossed, and Starcrossed was a great arc. It was where Hawk Girls, um, people, the Thanagarians, come to Earth, and they say that Earth is in danger, and they they need to build a shield to protect them from an alien race that wiped out their home planet and stuff like this. And um, it turns out that they're lying to them, and that they're building what is a hyperspace bypass, where it's going to destroy Earth, but it's going to then send a beam that will destroy their enemies and stuff like that. So they try and take out the league. They um, they imprison them. Hawkgirl is torn, and you know the league eventually escape. They go incognito, and then they launch an offensive. Hawkgirl gives them the plans to destroy the ship. They launch an offen- offensive, and it's just a great end to the series, and it's a great start to coming into justice league unlimited because unlimited is basically them coming out of the fallout of the fanagarian invasion and they've built a new space station it's got a energy weapon on it that you know if they had it during the fanagarian invasion they'd have been much better off it's them bringing in as many men and as many heroes as possible to then deal with anything on the planet it's it's just a great series and it finishes great as well. It's not one of those ones that you, uh, to be fair, I did wish it had gone on a bit longer, but 
it had to end at some point and it ended in a way where it come to a conclusion where it was like you know none of us are dead we're all going to carry on being heroes and it carries on like that the only thing i wish is that they could bring it back they did it with young justice and stuff like that i know that young justice just got unnecessarily cancelled and then they brought it back and it wasn't as good but i kind of feel like unlimited justice league unlimited it was a great series the only issue they've got with bringing it back now is that kevin conroy passed away and i can't see them doing doing anything without him that said they've recently what brought out and yeah a new beatles album uh, what song not album and i'm thinking ai must have helped with a lot of that do you know what i mean because they're not just ai kevin conroy's voice into it i kind of feel like realistically there is enough voice out there over the ether to kind of use and take and make into a new series of justice league with no issue just pay it you know i don't think his family would have any issue with it it's his legacy isn't it so i don't know i feel like basically a great series that in my eyes could go for several more series and i'd gladly watch every episode of it even in my mid-30s that i am now Today's comment to read before you die is JLA Pain of the Gods. It was a trade paperback and compiles issues 101 to 106 of JLA. So the story was wrote by Chuck Austin, penciled by Ron Garney. For some reason, people don't seem to like Chuck Austin, but I'm I'm basing my you know my thoughts on Chuck Austin on this book, and I think realistically. It's a beautifully written book, so I can't really give him too much stick for that because realistically, if I like, you know, I'm not bothered about what they've done before, what they do after. I'm just happy with, you know, what they're doing at right at that moment while I'm reading the story. So I'm going to go with it. I feel like people go back to his work on what X Men and stuff like that, and they they're just not happy with what he's done. So realistically, fair enough. But what I love about um, the story we wrote for JLA Pain of the Gods was that it's not just a it's not a, a beat me up it's not a world shattering event it's literally a, you know something normal has happened you know there's like it starts with Superman and it all focuses around something that Superman wasn't able to stop he, there's a fire um, a new hero turns up as Superman's holding up a building, stopping people from dying. He takes the strain while Superman gets the people out, saying that I can hold it, don't worry, just come back for me. When Superman goes back, the roof has collapsed and it's killed the man, and it's about the trauma of him not being able to save that particular person. And it all 
comes to a head later on. But what it does is, what the story does is, it delves into each member of the league's trauma of not being able to save people. Like, um, Flash, um, a building burns down, and kids die, I'm sure. Yeah, and yeah, kids die. So, the Flash makes sure that everyone has a smoke alarm. So, he, he literally you know, gets thousands of smoke alarms and he, he runs around and he puts them all in and, you know, it's stuff like that and I kind of feel like it's about them not just being heroes untouchable, but it's about the toll that it takes on them and I feel like it's a beautiful story in that respect. Ron Garney has been penciling comics since the early 90s and he's, you know, you only have to look at his um, bibliography and look at his interior pencil work and there's a lot of it, honestly, and realistically, he's working, it starts on stuff like G.I. G.I. with Real American Hero, and he's got Moon Knight, Daredevil, and you know, goes into the Marvels quite heavily, then he's got, obviously, Justice League, you know, other things like that, generally speaking, I'd say that he's generally Marvel Comics, but then he's working for Boom Studios at the moment on Berserker, so Berserker, from what I remember, isn't that the... Um, the Keanu Reeves one. Yeah, it's written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kind, and obviously drawn by Ron Garney. So his his work's still wildly used now. And if I'm honest, yeah, you know, I I love his artwork in it. I, I think his artwork makes the story even more beautiful in itself. And I love the I love the fact that it the whole story comes together and it brings a new dynamic. I think my favorite. Justice League stories aren't where they're like the fighting, you know, world shattering, you know, f- things. Don't get me wrong, I I do, I do like the the big beat me up battles and stuff like that. But what I like most is my like one of my favorite runs on of Justice League is after um, Infinite Crisis and Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are putting the league back together and. They're just they're not talking to each other like it's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, it's Clark, Diana and Clark yeah, and Bruce. And um what I love about the league is though that you know, but at this point they all know each other quite vividly, do you know what I mean? Like Flash and Green Lantern are sitting there and they're playing video games together and Flash has uh, an advantage over him because obviously he's you know he's super he's super fast, has the has impeccable reflexes and it's about them giving each other shit for it kind of thing. And that's what I love about the, the Justice League in general. That the fact that you know, they know each other inside and out. Like I like it when they're not just calling each other Flash, Green Lantern, they're calling each other Wally, John, you know, Jean, Diana, yeah, so on and so forth. And I kind of feel like that's the beauty of this book. It's it's not focusing in on them particularly as heroes. It's focusing in on them as humans, and I think it, that's what makes this story kind of beautiful in its own way. Um, I feel like you know because people have got this got it in for Chuck Austin a little bit that the story's probably forgotten in time, but it still holds up now. It's still a great story. It's still you know it's perfect, and there is a point where a little kid punches the the hell out of Superman and knocks him down. Do you know what I mean? And that's a deep, yeah, artwork-wise is pretty decent. And the covers on it are great as well. Like, yeah, you only have to look at the 
the anguish on all their faces. Flash is holding the child in in flame, you know, fire behind them. It's, you know, really good book, and it is definitely deserving to be one of the comics to read before you die. So, like I said earlier, if you give me a follow or a like, even recommend a friend, comments and messages are more than welcome. If you've got something you want me to talk about, if you've got something that you don't want me to talk about, let me know. So, I've Matt, and this has been the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast. Thanks for listening.